0: Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello and
1: welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert Pete Canavan. I am joined by my branding expert and co-host Neil Haley. How are you doing today, Neil?
2: Yeah, I'm doing great. You know, it's uh, we're can't believe gearing up to school year soon starting. Uh, kids go back Thursday, so it's going to be a different environment again. Back to the new season, getting ready to begin.
1: Summer always goes so quickly, and. Uh, hey. You know, you just got to make the most of every day. You know, my wife's a teacher too, so she's always making plans for me all summer long. Hey, can we do this? Hey, can we do this? I'm like, uh, hon, you know, I do have to work during the summer. <laughs> you know, she's like, why couldn't you be a teacher? But, well, I'm not, sorry. So, at least not in the same sense as, you know, as she is working for her school and getting the summers off. Exactly. Right? exactly. So, uh, you know, I it seems like I say this every week, and I'm going to say this again. But just when you think you've seen it all, just when you think you've heard it all, uh, there's something that surprises me, and I'm sure it surprises all of you as well, uh, on the safety news arena. For example, uh, yesterday in Honduras, uh, there was a riot that broke out before a soccer game, and this riot involved shooting and stabbing and left three people dead and 10 people injured this is at a soccer game for crying out loud it wasn't terrorism wow. it wasn't some crazy shooter coming in it was just rivals at a soccer game and this happened in honduras not the united states but it just goes to show you that no matter where you are in the world what's going on you might think you're just out you know having some fun watching a game or getting ready for something and all of a sudden you know craziness and violence erupts around you or to you and you know if you think that's it well guess again because not only one, but two violent occurrences happened uh, very close to home to today's guest, actually, out in uh, California. And there's a teacher out there, a young 24-year-old teacher. She had just uh, getting ready to start her school year out there. Uh, she's a math teacher, volleyball coach, sitting in her boyfriend's truck outside. Got her five-year-old son in the vehicle with her, and somebody just walks up and shoots her uh-huh. and kills her and kills her for no apparent reason, nobody knows what it was, just some crazy random act of violence. And it's like, you know, the senseless nature of this is staggering. And it just, you know, we don't have any answers for this. And then we had another, something else that happened in in California, uh, you know, 10 minutes away from where tonight's guest is, uh, lives. And that is a, a a teacher at uh, Cal State Fullerton was stabbed to death in his car. It's like, unbelievable, you know, these things that happen to us and around us. And we all think, you know, oh my God, it's never going to happen to me, you know, but every day that goes by, I think each one of us gets a a little bit more of a sense that, you know what, (laughs) these things could happen to me. And so the questions pile up, the answers elude us. So our guest today is somebody that I met at the Safe Schools Conference in California last month, and he is someone who is committed to keeping people safe, as as I am I, and like so many others that we've had on this show. So this gentleman and I spoke at length at the conference, and you know I said have to get him on the show. So he not only works at a college in California managing emergencies, but he also hosts his own podcast for emergency management and first responders called EM Weekly. So it's my pleasure to have on Safety Talk today, Todd DeVoe, the Manager of Emergency and Business Continuity at Saddleback College. Welcome, Todd. Thanks for being on.
0: Hey, my pleasure. It's uh, it's great to be here. And things are getting kind of crazy out there, aren't they?
1: It's, you know, we see things, like I said, that just when you think you've seen it all, you realize you haven't seen it all, you know, and... Uh, you, you just don't know where to go. And so, you know, as somebody who's, you know, former military Navy veteran, and thank you, obviously, for your service, sir, uh, you have a lot of experience in emergency management, some of which we're going to talk about today. But I just wanted to get your thoughts, you know, first off on this very close to home uh, shooting of a teacher and stabbing of a, of a faculty member, someplace that you teach at, right? At Cal State Fullerton. Sure.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, I'm actually out in Maryland right now uh, for training at EMI and uh, I was sitting in the class and one of my classmates goes, Hey, you still teach at Cal state Fullerton, right? And I go, yeah. So, so they just had a stabbing there. I'm like, what? You know, so I look it up and, and it's, I don't know, you know, there's not a lot of details on that one at Fullerton. And maybe it's like the San Bernardino case where it's just this randomness, but it, you know, we, we talk about like gun violence, right? I mean it seems to be a thing that always makes the news. Um, but just, I mean, Fullerton, there's was stabbing, and then just last week, um, a guy in Santa Ana was running around stabbing people, and he uh, he stabbed I think six six people, and I think he killed four of
1: them. Oh my God! You
0: know, so it's crazy.
1: And you know, these random acts are things that we just you wish and hope you could predict. We wish that there was a way that we could prevent this stuff from happening. We don't know why. Right. People snap. We don't know what it is in their lives that makes them do the things they do. It could be, you know, something physical, something emotional, something mental, something who knows what it is, but it just goes to show that you've got to be aware. You can't be distracted by the technology that we all are each day in our lives. You know, we get sort of lulled into this sense of complacency in our comfort zones, and our routines. And these things are dangerous because when something is the same every day, we expect it to be the same every day. And tomorrow may be the day it's not the same, but we don't know that. And that's, I think, the biggest problem with people who uh, really should be paying a little bit more attention. They're like, well, you know what? This, why would I think something's going to happen? You know, I, the same thing has right. gone on for days and weeks and months and years. Why is tomorrow going to be any different? Well, it just may be
0: for sure you know we get we get loaded in this uh idea that like you said everything's the same you go to the mall you go to the grocery store uh you, you know just going down to it taking a walk down the street and you go okay yeah everything is going to be hunky-dory uh but things happen you know and that's why you have to kind of keep that situational awareness always
2: so yes, Todd, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that situational awareness pete in. You know, and so and Todd. Now, kind of, I've learned from Pete what he means about that situational awareness. But how can people, without knowing the fear factor, that they they just develop that situational awareness? How can you teach kids at an early age situational awareness when they're just totally, especially high school kids, not aware of what's going on around them at all?
0: Well, okay, it is pretty simple. I don't say anything simple. It, it's just like any other kind of. Um, Think what we do with our children, right? Uh, you, you take a, a somebody who's been in kindergarten and you hear, they hear the fire alarm going off and they already know that we're, they're going to start moving towards the door, right? Um, you know, in, in, in grade school, they hold hands, they walk out the door. So they, they know it, right? Um, for us, right, in California, we have earthquakes. And we had like a small roller, roller, it was like a 5.8 um, a few years ago. And uh, my son, who at the time I think was in, Seventh or eighth grade, he he grabbed my my daughter and one underneath the, the coffee table in the middle of the living room because he's been trained since he was little to t- you know to duck cover and hold on uh, to, right. to to things. So we're we're teaching people already those safety things and the situation awareness part is just as simple. Like you know you know where you park your car, you know that you're going to walk to your car. You should have your keys out ready to go. You know. Um, you're going to the movies, and you should sit down, and this is what I do with my son. He's 16 now. And we go out loud. We say, okay, if there's – now it doesn't have to even be a shooter. Any kind of disaster, earthquake, fire, whatever the situation is, we've got two exits in front of us. This is The one to the left of us is going to be our primary exit. The one to the right will be our secondary exit. We can't get out. We're going out the, out the front doors of everybody else. And uh, if we get separated, this is where we're going to be at the car, the car's parked here. Right. So so when you go into the parking lot, you know you're parked on lot C, you know, level three, C two, right? That's that's where you're parked at. So just to just to keep that in your head, just don't park your car and walk away. I mean, so many people lose their cars. it's crazy. At the college, people are always waving down our officers saying, Hey, I don't know where I parked my car. Well, How do you not know where you parked your car? You know, and that's 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 situational awareness, knowing where you're at and where you're going. <laughs>
1: Yeah, what are you going to do? Wait till all the other cars leave and the one that's left is yours? (laughs) It's like, what was the plan, you know? What I do is like if I'm going or I'm flying somewhere and I'm parking my car, I'll take a picture of the, you know, C2. Like you said, you know, wherever you are, you take a picture of it. So that way, even if you do forget or you jot it down, you can go back and be like, oh yeah, that's where I parked. Especially if you're going away for somewhere for a while. But even in like a situation like you're talking about, you could be going to the movies, you could be going to the mall, you could be going anywhere. Remember where you parked your car, and I think we've all done it. Even just run into the grocery store. Right. You run into the grocery store, and you come out and you go, "Oh, where did I park?" Or, or, <laughs> and it's or, or even worse if you borrow the wife's car, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I'm looking for the wrong car.
0: <laughs> so yeah. we've done that. I, I mean, even with technology, I mean, you could pin your car now with your with Apple phone. Just pin your location. There it is, and you you could put your you can right go back to it by uh, uh, by putting your your Apple Maps on your Google Maps. And you can get yourself back to your car that way. And there's so much stuff that we carry with yeah. us today. But it's just, again, it's taking the people and saying, okay, this and this kind of goes back to the root of the question is now we got to teach people to be, to get out of that, the normalcy bias of this is going to be a normal day. Right. And Amanda Ripley wrote this book called um, surviving the, surviving the unthinkable. Right. Or no, the unthinkable surviving. Death. I'm sorry, Amanda Ripley, if you're listening to this, because I'm screwing your book out close. Um, <laughs> But it's it's uh, uh you know, surviving the unthinkable and she went through and she looked at all of these disasters airplane crashes uh, hotel fires um, you know things like this and she she went and she covered them as a Time magazine reporter and she saw that there was some sort of connection between um, or, or commonality between those who survived uh, those events so she started doing research on them and she found simple things like taking out the pamphlet out of the back of your airplane seat and taking a look at it and realizing, looking back and forth to find out where those exits are compared to where you're sitting, right? And listening mm-hmm. to the little the little demonstration that they do about your seatbelts. And so what it does is it puts your mindset into, if something happens, I already have a plan, and I can follow that plan. And those are the people who survive.
1: And how many people on a plane have the headphones in or they're looking at their phone. They're not listening. Yeah. Maybe you've heard it a hundred times before, but every seat in every plane is different. Every plane is different. The exits are different. They might be in a different row. Like you said, it it makes perfect sense to make it a habit to simply notice things like the exits and to give yourself right. a sort of little one-if scenario in, in your head, you know? Right. So Todd, how did you, how did you get started in emergency management?
0: That's a good story. Um, uh, so I got out of the Navy, um, and my goal in life at that time was to go into uh, fire, right? And uh, uh, so I actually took the test for LA County Fire Department. It was was there on a hiring freeze at one time, so it was a little little longer than normal. Um, And then, so I was looking to get into something, um, and I was working as a private paramedic. And as I was working for a private paramedic, one of my jobs I had to do um was medical logistics for large-scale fires because we happen to have a lot of those in california so um oddly enough i kind of fell in love with the idea of emergency management and i applied for a few jobs here and there and i actually applied for the city data points job and i took the la county fire job and i got a job offer from la county fire department i was going to the backgrounds they actually had me coming in fit my uniform all that kind of stuff. I was ready to go. Um, and the job offer that came from data point at the same exact time, my wife and I had a decision to make and we sat there and talked about it. And uh, I decided, you know what, this is kind of what I really want to do. My passion is more on emergency management than fight and fire. Right. And my goal was getting the fire department, and work right. my way up to emergency management. Right. You know, um, in this case, I was able to go right to where I wanted to be. Um, and the pay was about the same, about equal. So I didn't take a pay cut or anything like that by going the other direction. So that was in 2005 um, when I moved into emergency management and haven't looked back since. So that's, yeah.
1: That's awesome. It was one of those crosswords, right? And you have to figure uh-huh. out, you know, what would I rather do? you know cuz the pay was equal I was like what job yeah. is would I like better and probably a little bit i don't know might be more risk might be less risk and you know but as a fireman i mean you're charging into burning buildings i mean i think that's a little bit higher risk for, than just about any other job out there so right. <laughs> you yeah. know i mean coming from the military i mean that's you know risky too obviously but uh you know that's it takes a certain kind of you know person to be able to do that and uh and i know some firemen and it's it's an amazing job and we obviously need people like that so um but you're doing a heck of a, a job now because now you're doing a bunch of things. So you're also working at, as I said in the beginning, uh, Saddleback College. And so you teach emergency management there, correct?
0: No, no. no. I'm just, I am the emergency manager at Co- Saddleback College. The Okay. Correct. So
1: in that position, uh, what would you say is the most challenging aspect when dealing with both the staff and the students, et cetera. There's probably a few things, but <laughs> maybe we can narrow it down.
0: So, let, let me kind of go back a little bit, and just kind of give you an idea. So, I, I started out as working as a city emergency manager, um, and then I went to um, the uh, uh, city of Seal Beach Police Department, working there in homeland security um, and emergency management over there. And so, each place has its own challenges, right? Right. And um, the challenges at and some of them are similar, right? So the challenges at Seal Beach was always funding. Like, how do we get money for this? Um, it's easy when you go in front and you do, you know, for crime, you go, okay, this crime is happening. Fund this. We can stop crime. And then you go, oh, there's, there's this deficiency with the fire department. Give we'll fund this, and we're going to put fires out or, or save lives, medically speaking. With emergency management, now you're convincing people to spend money when I say people, city council members, to spend money on something that may never happen in their tenure at city council or in their lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about the big one, right, the big earthquake. We haven't had the big earthquake, even that 7.1 that we had up um, up by um, China Lake, right, which is mostly closer to – actually closer to – Yosemite than it is to LA, right? So you have that there. The large earthquake everybody felt it on July Fourth, right? If you could, you had to. It's unbelievable, right? It was like felt like, like a four or something by us, right? Uh, large earthquake. It didn't do a lot of damage, right? So if you're you're talking about that one-off earthquake that might occur, um, it's not like the Gulf Coast where every year you know you're going to get a hurricane, right? For right. sure you're going to get a hurricane, right? So everybody knows you got to prepare for the hurricane. You know, it's not like in the Midwest where we know we're going to get tornadoes, right? Right. Right. So those are going to occur. Right. Um, You're here in the middle of California. It's Mediterranean weather. It's beautiful speeches. Nothing really occurs outside of fires. So now you're, you're trying to do this. So. Everybody knows, then there's funding for the federal government. So, so you go, okay, you go to your community, you go, okay, we're going to have community programs like our CERT program, our RACES program, community, the Community Emergency Response Team, um, your RACES program, uh, which is your radio communicators, ham radio guys. Okay. Uh, maybe you have like those programs and they'll fund right. those because they're community programs that people get excited about. So you have to be creative on, on how you try to talk to people about um, – about how we're funding these things. So now let's push this to a college where it's different because the college has to have somebody now in this role because of some different laws. They don't have to be an only emergency manager, but somebody has to do this because we have Cleary, um, that law that, that goes in and says you have to have an emergency management program. All right. But now you're still convincing administrators to put time and money into a program that, how do we make it so it's student success driven? And and, and so that's where you look at it. So so what can we, what are we doing to be student success? And so the, what I've done is I've said, look at, with the business continuity side of it, I said, if something happens, say it's not even an earthquake, say it's just a, a building catches on fire or floods out, right? How do we continue giving educational periods of instruction to these students who are paying to be here. And if they don't have X amount of hours, they can't graduate. So let's talk about it in that aspect of it, of not just so responding to the death and destruction of a disaster, but how do we keep giving good instructional periods to the students that need to have that time in order to graduate on on time and to move on in their career. And so I think finding that seed that says, this is why it's important And this is how it's going to impact you on the long run. We start planting those seeds and then you're going to have that force of of really well-trained people ready for
2: disasters. And then when you think about ready for disasters, it's not just the emergency management team, it's everybody else. And I don't know what's happening with the way uh, things have changed. I remember I was trained in first aid, I was trained in uh, specific CPR, things like that. What are you seeing about the people that are not part of the emergency management team willing to jump in when there's a disaster? What have you seen so far? Is it better than when you started or is it worse than when you started? I,
0: I think we've always had a time when people
2: were, well, disasters
0: are weird. What I mean by that is like, it, it really builds a sense of community quickly that we're in it together. You see all these things of like, you know, Boko strong or this strong or that strong, you know, um, you know, when there's a shooting, everybody comes together and they mourn. Um, it's not just the people who were directly impacted by the victims, and the victim's family, but the, the community as a whole, they come together right. and, they, and they mourn this. So I, I think that's always been there. I think where we have the issue is that getting people that are trained prior to an event um, is, has been challenging because people don't have time because they got soccer practice for their kids, and and they got this and that. And so you hand them a pamphlet and say, "Here you go, be prepared." And they go, "Yeah, thank you. This is great information." They put it in their pocket, and then they get to the house. And it goes into the circular file, you know. Or if you're lucky, they slap it onto the refrigerator for six eight months, and then it goes into the circular file, you know. So, how do we get them engaged? And that's actually what we conversation that we had today here uh, at EMI. And how do we message that the, the idea of preparedness? You know, the shows like Doomsday Preppers, things like this, have made it to where people go, oh, if you're a preparedness person, you're kind of on the fringe. How do we make that mainstream? And that's the biggest challenge uh, for that. Now,
1: well, you have, you uh, know, the federal government, you know, has all kinds of disaster preparedness plans. Right. And they yeah. they plan for alien attacks. <laughs> they plan for nuclear holocaust. They plan for everything, you know. Right. So if the if the federal government is planning for this, don't you think it's a good idea that you should, right? And I think people have to realize that, yeah, okay, you're busy, you've got soccer practice, you've got a home to run, you've got bills to pay, but none of that will matter if you don't survive an event, whether it's weather-related or man-made you know, disaster, uh, if you don't know how to respond to it. And getting, I think, that conversation started with people, it's very uncomfortable I know, I'm sure you've had that conversation with a lot of people. I know I have that you, you bring it up, it up and they're like, well, I don't know where to start. You know, I, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I even begin this? And I say, you just start somewhere. You right. start with knowing, okay, if this event were to occur, then I could do this or I could go here, you know, whether it's like a, an earthquake or a fire or a flood or something like that. If you're going to evacuate, you know, we live near a river here that's historically flooded, bad. And so everybody around here should have a flood preparedness plan. Do you think they yeah.
0: do? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> of course not. Right. So,
1: you know, and, and then of course you get the scenarios too where people cry wolf. It's like, oh, you know, it almost flooded, but it didn't. And then right. the next time it happens, oh, it almost flooded and it didn't. So after a while, people get anesthetized to it. So they're like, you know what? It's not going to happen. And then they forget about it and now they ignore it. And I think that's the biggest problem because the minute that happens, you have now become so vulnerable because now it's like Murphy's law, right? Something's right. going to happen just because you said that. And, right. and that's a sad thing because it only takes a little bit of time, a little bit of knowledge to begin that preparedness journey. And it doesn't make you a kook. It doesn't make you a whack. It doesn't make you somebody who's on the fringe. It actually makes you smarter, more prepared and less stressed because yeah. now you know what to do if something happens.
0: Well, you know what's crazy is that is, uh, um, Superstorm Sandy is a good example, right? So my wife would always go, oh, you know, why do you have all this preparedness stuff, you know, the, the food and all this kind of stuff, and the water, and, yeah, you know, you spend too much money on it. And I, said, I always tell her, I said, that stuff is for you, because when a disaster happens in California, I'm going to work, right? So you're going to have the water. This is, this is all for you. None of it's for me, because I'm going to be gone. Um, and then Superstorm Sandy happens, and you see people eating food, rotten food, out of the dumpster, right? And look, I told my wife, I said, that's why I prepare here, because I don't want you and my, the rest of my kids eating out of a dumpster, you know, from 7 Eleven food. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, I, I think if we see that, but the other end of it, though, is I, I think that if we keep talking about preparing in this sense of like fear, right? Um, do you shut that off too? Because then like you're saying you're just overwhelmed. You're like, right. I just put my hands up, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I, I just, I'm just gonna wait for the calorie to come running right. to, to, to feed me. You know? And so I think that's the, the double-edged sword that we have is, is how do we message that? And like I said, we had a great conversation today, um, about that with someone, with one of the instructors uh, over here at EMI and her name is Anne Marie, uh, Jones. And um, she was talking about the fact that how do we message that to where it's more of a positive thing, you know, instead of the negative. It's not that you're preparing for death and destruction, right, but you're preparing, like you said, for the ease of mind. It's like having car insurance, right? Sure. Uh, You know, if you have car insurance, you never want to use it, but with that time that you get in a traffic collision or whatever, you're like, "Eh, I got insurance, you know, it's going to cover it. Not stressed. And I think
1: that's a big part of it is you do the preparation for the what if as if it's everything else. Like the fire drills in school with the kids or the car insurance that you're buying or if you're in an area that is prone to some sort of natural disasters like you said, like out west with the tornadoes or fires in California or earthquakes or floods here in Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter where you live. There are certain risks. Some risks we can prepare for. Other risks that might be of a global nature you might have nothing to do about, but nobody's worrying about preparing for an asteroid that's going to hit. Because if it okay. happens, we're all toast and it won't matter. Right. But for everything else besides that, right, there needs to be some plan that says, okay, I've got some things stockpiled up. I've got some food. I've got some water. I have a plan where I know where I'm going to go if there is some sort of event that occurs on that side of it, right, on the, on the, the natural disaster sort of side. But now you also have to look at the man-made side of things. Okay. So what is going to have, what, what am I going to do if an active shooter comes in or an active killer, whatever you want to call it. Right. And somebody comes into my place of work and there's workplace violence there. You know, some employee comes in, he's all mad or she's all mad because they were fired and they come back the next day. Cause we forgot to get their swipe from them and they walk through with, you know, weapons and they start to wreak some destruction. Do you think about that? Most people don't, but yet it should be in the back of your mind. You know what? If, somebody's fired and they come back here, what am I going to do? Where am I going to hide? Where am I going to go to? How can I protect myself? Where am I going to lock myself in? Is there someplace I can go? And ask yourself these things, and you're not being paranoid. You're simply giving yourself the knowledge to be prepared for that scenario if and when it were to occur. Simply stated, right?
0: Right. I mean, I responded to an active shooter um, where the guy – it was domestic violence basically uh, the guy was divorced they're going back and forth through a, a really bad um, uh, child thing you know who, who's gonna have the kid so he goes into the salon where she works and sh- shoots up the place right shot nine people killed eight wow. of them um wow. it was it was terrible right and it was a domestic violence thing and you don't know who your co-workers having issues with You know, and there was this other story where, um, for the company who I worked for, um, this guy goes to the headquarters looking for his girlfriend or ex, or wife or whatever she is. I forget what the relationship was. And uh, she wasn't there. She called off sick. Mm. So he walks up into the receptionist and is like, hey, I want to talk to whoever. The the receptionist, I'm sorry she's not here. He goes, okay, thank you very much. He leaves and he goes to her house and kills her. Oh, I mean that could have that could have been uh, that could have been another workplace violence thing, right?
2: Absolutely, right. right. So, so you've seen this firsthand. You've had to yeah. investigate these after these happen. Wow. I well, mean, you're, you're yes. a police officer too, right?
0: I work for the police department. Yes. Yeah. So um, I was the first uh, in the door um, on the salon shooting uh, as a paramedic. I, I, I'm also a paramedic, still, so, and I responded for that. Yeah. So.
2: That's scary stuff. Yeah, it is and, and I guess you're more aware of when it happens and do you think it happens more where you are at than other cities what are you seen like the numbers when you talk about active shooter not like gang violence or something I'm just talking like an active shooter situation like you talked about where you went was, would have shot up the whole office building or something like that. what have you seen what, the I, I mean like, I,
0: I've only responded to that one uh, as mm-hmm. far as active shooter goes like the traditional what it's defined as None. by FBI right? I've gone to when I worked in Southgate. Um, I responded to a few gang shootings uh, where multiple people were shot, but that was like really truly the first you know active shooter by by FBI definitions. But oddly enough, um, it, it's a really loose definition, right? Because it doesn't have to be just a gun, right? right. Because it's it's, it's edged weapons or vehicles, anything could be can be defined as that. As, as so, I really think. That we should def- redefine the term active shooter to either active violence or or or, or mass or, or mass murder. Yeah, active um,
1: killer. I'm, I see a lot of people are now starting to use that because yeah, that's
0: a good one too. You
1: know, because then it's it they are actively killing people, right? I could be an active shooter if I'm at the gun range, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, you you know, there's a, there's a difference there. So I mean, I think it's it softens it when we say it's an active shooter. It sounds nicer than active killer. Well, it is well, an active killer.
0: I think there's a political reason behind it. You know, I mean, I, 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 without getting too much into politics, words are making a difference, right? Because you see people, they used to go gun control, right? But now they call it gun safety. Yeah. Right? What does that mean? You know, so so asking what that means, I think there's a lot to do with this, because what you've noticed, or what I've noticed, is, is that with the media coverage on things, the guy who walks around with a knife and kills a bunch of people, it gets a blurb on the news right maybe might might get national news for a second but it's done when it's a shooting it's like on the news 24 7 for a good week you know what i mean so why why
2: is that and good i well i think it's because again it just puts more fear uh you know a lot of people hear that it's going to be somebody stabbed a couple people well okay if i would have had it if i would have been aware that would never have happened but when they hear a gun they're like Oh my goodness, that could have been me. And it's 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 flashier. It's it's more exciting. Do you think we see a lot of knife killings on TV or movies, or do we see guns? We see guns. guns. So you know, I mean, that's my thought, right, Pete? Would you agree with me on that? I mean, yeah, I mean,
1: they're always the slasher movies, and I think they tend to be a little um, bit scarier if you're going to be stabbed or slashed, or you know what I mean. But. Nobody likes to talk about it because the guns are more sensationalized and the media likes to put their attention on them. And okay, there are some good things and there are some bad things about firearms. I mean, but every responsible gun owner knows that they're the safest person out there because they understand the deadly force that they have control over. When you have someone who is not mature, that doesn't have the training, doesn't have the respect for the weapon, they look at it, I think, sometimes as a vehicle to. You know, accomplish a certain goal that they have, whether it's to punish somebody, hurt somebody, get their fifteen minutes of fame, or to take their own life at some point to sort of rob the the families or the victims' families yeah. or anybody else of their ability to you know obtain justice. So th- there are so many different layers and reasons for it that I mean we could debate it till the end of time. But right. the, the bottom line is there are a lot of reasons why people do things and then there are probably some people that do things and there's no reason. I mean, it's well, just.
0: Right. And going back on that, I mean, with, with the school specifically now, I'm going to, gear shit years here for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we have people that can re- recognizing and you hear all these things. Oh, you know, I, I knew this guy did this stuff and, you know, did this stuff at school. It was really weird, but I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to be the narc. Teachers don't want to suspend students because they're afraid that you know they, they 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 want them to be oh I feel sorry for them you know they're misunderstood I don't want to suspend them I don't want to put them through, and um, so so we hear all these things about these students that have done act of violence. None of them have ever been out of the blue. You never heard like what that guy never. And so it's like, <laughs> yeah. No. You know it's like oh yeah right. that guy was weird. You know that guy had issues.
2: Uh, that, that, like i never thought this person would do it that just doesn't happen with right. kids the kids shooting
1: right no no there's usually red flags that are ignored or missed or like you said Todd, well, like
2: serial killers i never thought that person yeah,
0: yeah. well, well some
2: people sometimes people. it is ted bundy okay right. well will say ted bundy got us all
1: fooled everybody. So tell us a little bit about, um, cause one of the things you deal with is is the business continuity side of things, right? And sure. I think a lot of businesses, people, you know, that own a business, run a business or in a business, managers, et cetera, they know that it is very important to try and get back to whatever their business happens to be after some sort of event. It could be natural disaster, man-made disaster, whatever. Uh, so maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the the business continuity side of things and then, you know, sort of maybe what you do at the college and then how maybe that can apply to other people's businesses and help them prepare.
0: Well, I think at the end of the day, business continuity has to be a plan. And whether you're right, whether it's a natural disaster or, or an act of violence, um, actually an act of violence is probably a little bit, we can go on that one in a little bit in a second. That's a little bit. Might be even tougher to recover from, but that's a different story. So, business continuity specifically um, is if there's the earthquake or there's the tornado or whatever, and if your building's still standing after the tornado uh, and you're just down power, you have about three days as a small business to get back up and running before you won't ever open the doors again. Statistically, analysis across the board, that's what it looks like, right? Uh, Catherine Tinney did a really great um, uh, piece, um, study uh, on this. Um, you know, Trucker did a study on all these. There's great studies out there if you want to look them up about how, why this is. And basically, what it is is if it's the, the ice cream store is like the one I like to talk about, it's number one, I like ice cream, and <laughs> who doesn't like ice cream, right? But you know, your, your product nuts, right? So it, it goes away. And and, and so um, you have to get product back into your store, you have to get the, the coolers. Up and running again. The, the freezer's up and running again, and and then you have to get the customers to come back in the door to buy your ice cream. Because if you're not going to be able to get this up and running, they're going to go to the ice cream shop down the street that's up and running, right? And, and so it's really important to have. If you can't go to your business, where can you move that to? Do you have Do you have contracts um, with um, equipment vendors that are down the street that you can say, Hey, can I? loan this can i borrow this till i get my insurance payments done you know uh, vendors that you've been using for a long time you know will probably help you out because they, they they need your business to be running to make money as well um and there was it was a santa cruz who they actually created um a tent city um after the loan free out earthquake a tent i shouldn't say city a tent uh business district where they got power and stuff in there, so the ice cream guy could have moved his coolers down or his freezers down into the tent while his building was being fixed to, to keep, still serve ice cream. Uh, the people who are impacted the most specifically by disasters as far as business goes is minority women-owned businesses. Right? I'm going to ask you, why do you think it's minority women-owned businesses? What business do you think that they mostly run? Salons? Salons. Right there, right. So nail salons, hair salons, right? That type of thing. Um, if they're not up and running, women need to have their hair cut, right? And they, I mean, if they don't go once a month or whatever the deal is, you know, you know how women are, right? And no offense to women out there, because you definitely you have more hair than I Yeah, hey, I need right? this cut
1: every three weeks, man.
0: Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so if you can't get in there to get your hair done and get your nails done, you're going to have to go find another person to do it. And, and they tend to, uh, to, to go with that person. So it, it's interesting to see, to see that. So, yeah, so you should have a written plan. A written plan about how, how do you, what are you going to do, right? What do you need? What do you need to run your business? Do you need a computer? Do you need a cash register? Do you need a, a slider for your, your uh, cards now, right? Your, because you could do that on your phone. Yep. If you got PayPal or Square, those things like this have that. Even if that's not your your main way of of doing your business, have as a backup it doesn't cost you money.
1: No, right? that's a really good point because I think a lot of businesses they don't look at it that way. They think you know I'll I'll get back to business in my business you know when I can, without looking at how can I get back to doing what I need to do as quickly as possible, even if it means. Moving my location temporarily or leaning right. on some other people that may even be my competitors or others in the area. And it's a really good idea. And, and I, I appreciate even you saying that because it's, it's, I'm sure giving a lot of people ideas to say, well, you know what, okay, maybe, you know, my ice cream shop is down, but, you know, yours isn't, you know, can I put my inventory in your coolers until I get, you know, electricity that's supposed to come back on in three days or something, you know, and, and I'll be happy to do the same for you if something ever happens. And so you have a little bit of that, you know, I'll help you, you know, we scratch each other's back if there's a problem. And that's a really smart way to look at it because things happen, bottom line.
0: Right. And, and, you know, you're part of your chamber of commerce most likely if you're a small businessman. So you have those relationships already, you know, and, and maybe you're not putting it in, you know, maybe Todd's ice cream isn't going to pizza ice cream, but you know what? Um, there's a, there's the, uh, you know, McDonald's down the street that has freezers that might be able to help me out for a small period of time. You know what I mean? And right. have those, build those relationships, you know, beforehand. Um, because I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's about bringing that community now as a, city, right, it behooves you to help small businesses do this because that's your tax base, right? Every small business that closes down, that's tax money that's coming out of your coffers, right? The the targets, the Walmarts, the, the, the Lowe's, the Home Depot's, they're fine. They have business continuity plans, right? right. They have big trucks that will come in and, 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 re- and do things for them, right? They have teams that will fly in from different parts of the country to to put the store back together, right? Yeah, most Um, mom and
1: pops or small businesses don't have that luxury. They don't have the resources. They don't have the plan. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so imperative to have that plan. You know, even if you never have to use it, hey, so what? Have the plan and and establish those relationships ahead of time, which is a smart move. Like you said, especially for a a community, if you lose those businesses, you're now losing tax dollars. That's going to now impact the rest of the community. So everybody should be wanting to help themselves just to ensure that your taxes don't go up and my taxes go up when that one goes out of business. So of course, for many other reasons, but you know, that's one that probably the town would uh, respond to probably more quickly than anything else.
0: Right. You know, my, my dad um, owned delis uh, when I was a kid, you know, growing up and I worked in a deli small business. My dad put 16 hours a day into his, into his job. Right. And I was like, one of those things I, Everyone's like, "Oh, it must be great." You know, your dad owns. Yeah, you know what? I can't call off sick as a six-year-old kid to go to the movies because you know my dad knows where I live. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's just upstairs above this room. You could go knock on my door. So you know. Um, but the point is, these, these people who own small businesses, you know, they put their heart and soul into it. So it's not for a lot of them. It's not just a money maker for them. It's their life. You know, um, it's going to be the retirement when they when they are able to sell out or, or do their savings. You know, so. Uh, for them not to have um, some sort of plan written down, right. right? Agreements with with contractors, you know, have these things written down. Because, like, tell you the baker that my dad bought his bread from, right? The guy wants to sell bread, you know. And if my dad was like, "Hey, you know, my my store's closed. I'm not going to buy bread from you." Now the baker's losing money. So right. lose him to say, "Hey, I'm going to help you out," right?
2: That's, you know, that's true. It's so important, and I agree with you, to have that plan because you never know when it's going to happen. And the smaller the business, if they don't have that plan and something does happen, the financial loss is going to be tremendous to them, right? right? Or business loss or just reputation loss without having that plan.
1: So are you frustrated by the lack of preparedness that the general public has and that, that's, you know, small businesses have, like obviously we know the big businesses have the plan, but that's gotta be something that frustrates you.
0: Oh, completely. It completely frustrates me. And and the thing is, is I, the, the, the part that even bothers me the most is I, I can't get through to, I don't know how to get through to them. And we're having, again, we're having this conversation today timely. Um, and somebody's like well you know you go to somebody who's having a hard time you know putting groceries in the in the refrigerator and, and you know putting milk in the kid on the table how can you tell them to have a, a 72 hour plan for their family and I, and i get that right i mean you got to make decisions you know if it's is it going to be a pair of sneakers or is it going to be disaster food but you know what it doesn't have to be that that, that tough of a choice now i have worked in some really rough ghetto neighborhoods in LA County and the crazy part about it is you go into these houses and they all have cars right and they all have big screen tvs and they have cable and they got the xboxes and they got all that stuff but they don't have extra can of spaghettios right you know so we don't live in, i mean there, there are parts of the country and i say this there are parts of the country that do have issues Right, you got Appalachia for for sure. You got the reservations that have people yeah. that are really, really. You want to see poverty, right? That's where you go. You don't go to the, you know, the, to the places I'm just talking about where people have the TV set. There are people that are suffering that way. But when you go to the store and you're going to, to buy your your groceries, if you're just buying a few extra food, you know, at that particular time, or you don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars at once. And I think it's a mindset, right? How do we get people to switch over um, to to being saying, like, all right, instead of buying two cans of SpaghettiOs this week, I'm going to buy four cans, and then I'm going to start rotating it out. So I always have four cans of SpaghettiOs in my house, and that's the start of my disaster. kit. But, you know, people just don't want to make it a priority. And I think the other end of it, too, is that we're still used to seeing um, the government come in, being FEMA and or your state government, coming in and, and rescuing people with, with the money um, and whatnot. And, and I, think we, I think we expect that. And I, I think it's hard as an emergency manager to go, it might not happen because there's a, there's a good probability that we're running out of disaster funds. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't have insurance on your house. You don't have flood insurance. You don't have fire insurance. You don't have, you know, your disaster kit made up. You know, you're going to end up going to some shelter like what happened in Katrina, which was which was a debacle. Those things are occurring. And you look at that and you go, do you want to be that person? Do you want to be the person? But that's, again, that's selling like fear. And then people shut that off, right? They go, oh, I don't want to hear it. You know, so it's this really weird, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest with you, to, to get people to want to be ready.
2: Um, <laughs> I, I think it's just that it has to happen next door to them for them to become ready.
1: Yeah, absolutely. but it's also amazing. Like even like sometimes like in these areas where there is this, you know, some sort of disaster and I tell you, okay, don't drink the water unless you boil it. People don't boil the water. They go to the water truck and they go get the bottle of water. It's like there's, You could boil your water and then you could drink it and use it. And how many people don't even want to do that? They think it's like too much of a hassle to even boil the water. They're going to stand in line for three hours to get a case of of water. You could have boiled three cases of water in that period of time. You know what I mean? So I I think there's a combination of factors. There is the, I don't know where to get started. There is the, it's never going to happen to me. And there's the complacency or even should I say, the laziness factor where people, just they, they can't be bothered. It's like, ah, eh, it's not going to happen. And so there's, there's a multitude of things. And of course, it all starts with education, right? They have to understand that these things don't have to become so overwhelming. Like you said, Todd, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars at once. You buy one Extra thing when you go to the store, or you make sure you have some extra batteries for your flashlights. You don't, ha- you know, or for your radio. So if something happens, electricity goes out, you can at least have a battery-powered radio to, to listen to what's happening. So it's very, very little things that people can do, but if they're consistent with them over the period of time, it can end up making you know huge strides. I mean, for somebody like yourself, for me, we're very familiar with you know, survival, disaster, recovery, emergency management, what can we do? So we've taken upon ourselves to do things like stockpile certain, you know, supplies, but we didn't do it overnight. It took time and uh, people need to understand it. Okay. We understand it can be overwhelming, but there are certain things that if you chip away at the stone, you're going to have be much better off than your neighbor who hasn't done a thing, you know? And, you know, if they come knocking on your door, what are you going to do? It's like, Hey, go away. I have nothing either. So, well, I guess that's what people can really do to be better prepared in my opinion i mean
0: no you're absolutely right, and, and I think also starting with with uh, the kids you know with preparedness programs at schools um there's a guy who's named ryan Akers, and i uh I interviewed him on, on my podcast and he started a program called my p i right and it 's about my being personal. Uh, preparedness initiative is what it stands for. Mm-hmm. And he is going to the high schools and creating these, my PI clubs. Um, he was through um, Mississippi. That's where he's out of. Um, and Mississippi state is the, the college where he teaches and that's where it runs in there. So they're running this out of the extension program. So you're looking at like your four H type programs or your future farmers programs that are kind of, that we got behind it. And there's grant money out there for schools to start these MyPI programs. And he's saying, look, you get to the, get to the high school kids, you have them get interested in preparedness and bring it home to the family. I say let's take that one step further and get into you know, your elementary schools and into your, you know, to your, to your junior highs. And in California we do that with our, with our earthquake stuff, right? Be prepared for earthquake, drop the cover and hold on, you know, those programs there. Get them understanding these kids and my daughter. She understands she since she was little. Now, it's not just because she's my daughter, right? Because I mean, I don't really talk about this all day at home. I'm not like just dippy yapping about disaster <laughs> preparedness at home. I'm like watching baseball and football and everything else, like any other American, right? And um, so when she gets this, and she knows about earthquake preparedness, right? She's going into first grade, she just started first grade this, this year. She already knows earthquake. she at home at school. They have a first, they have a, a earthquake preparedness kit. that They bring, they bring extra clothes, some water, some snacks. They have to bring that to school and have it in their cubby. And she'll tell me there's my earthquake preparedness kit that this is what I'm putting in it. Okay, great. Right.
1: So that's at awesome that
0: age, you know, and that's where we got to start at, at that age and, and, and bring it up. You, you know, there was a, t- there's a cartoon that was on uh, Disney had it on. It was called Lou and Lou safety patrol. Right? Disney knows, right? They're going to talk to kids. <laughs> right? Lou and Lou safety patrol. These two little twins that run around and they would like put like a cone on top of this kid's head. that wasn't wearing a helmet on his bicycle. You know, things like that. So we got to get to the kids, I think, is, is really where it starts. And have them shame their parents, for lack of a better term, for not having, uh, you know, kids. I mean, think about seatbelts. How often if you get in the car and you forget that you put your seatbelt on and my daughter's like, Dad, Mom, don't forget to put your seatbelt on because she knows it's a safety thing. So if they're at that age knowing that, we could do this with prepared, or the disaster preparedness. Because you're absolutely right. It's not just earthquakes in California. you got snowstorms in the, in the, on the East Coast. The nor'easter comes flying in and you can't get out and you're going to be stuck in your house for seven days.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? And that could be a do- big
1: problem. Yeah, and starting at young develops the habits. And so like your daughter, first grade, she's already learned about it. She will now be aware of that her entire life. You know, she's yeah. developed these habits and and starting at a young age is important. I did it with my kids from the time that they were very young, you know, their little, you know, bags with their, you know, supplies in it. You know, if anything happened, we had to leave. They know where they are, They know how to get them. And, you know, and you, and you run some drills once in a while and it doesn't make you nuts. It makes you prepared because right. if something happens, you're going to be the one that's in a much better shape than, you know, the person next to you that didn't prepare. So, well, we're... Uh,
0: Real quick, you know, the yeah. other thing is make sure you have all your documents, your important documents, scan them. You know, everybody probably, ha- I should say everybody, the majority of us probably have a scanner at home or have a friend that has a scanner. Those jump drives that used to be really expensive, 250 2500 or two 250 gigs right? right They used to be super expensive. Um, now they're like they give them away, right get one of those jump drives, scan your license on there, scan your, do- your passports, your documents, your insurance papers, and you get one of those um, and you keep it in you keep it in a, in a go bag, maybe do a couple versions of it, have your wife keep it in her purse or whatever. And so when the crap hits the fan and your house burns down, you go, "No, here it is. I got all my documents right here." You know, it's cheap. People give these things away at trade shows. Now, you know, my son has like four of them that he gets every time he goes to school, they give him a new one. You know, they're, they're, they're inexpensive. Uh, you get, I think like $16 now for this thing. So buy one, put the stuff on there, you know, um, you know, just, just have it ready to go.
1: No, that's good advice because, you know, losing a lot of those important papers and then trying to go to your insurance company and be like, well, yeah, I have my insurance. So like, okay, where's the the documents like oh it got burned up or it's in the flood or it's in the river or, you know and now you got to run jump through all those hoops and just taking a little bit of time and it doesn't have to take a lot of time you know how long is it going to take you to scan 20 30 40 things not a whole lot of time it take a couple hours in an afternoon on a saturday and it's done and you don't have to worry about it you know and you update right. it once a year or something when you're you know the new uh, you know policy comes through or something or when you get a new car or if it's a right. you know, car insurance or whatever
0: and you, you know what? You don't even have to have it on the jump drive. If you think about it. If you have Google, you throw it on your Google Documents or Dropbox or you know any of those file sharing things that are free. Yep. You know, just put it up there. It's in the, that's in the cloud, so no matter where you go, you can get it. So um, that's just my my little advice.
1: No, I appreciate that. Uh, we're cranking through here, uh, almost at the end. Todd, uh, do you have any last thoughts for our audience?
0: You know, I I, I do appreciate time today. Uh, so thanks for having me. On show i think preparedness whether it's for disasters or if it's for reactive violence uh it has to become a lifestyle it's not just a one day thing and it's over you know keep your head in the swivel because there's violent people out there whether it's extremists or whether it's just a crazy person you know with a knife
1: that's right is old um, three, stay safe everybody three. and it's uh It's true, you know, and and it's scary. We started to show off with a couple of crazy stories because you just don't know what's going to happen. You can be out and about anywhere these days. And so uh, we uh, really thank you for uh, being on Safe Talk, Todd. I do, um, if anybody's interested in downloading a free cheat sheet on the six top strategies for staying safe at college, you can go download that at guidetocollegesafety.com. Free for anybody. And uh, again, thanks for being on Safe Talk, Todd. Really appreciate your time and expertise. Appreciate it. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. You can always get uh, more information at our safetytalkpodcast.com site. Find us on YouTube at uh, safetytalkvideos.com. We'll take you right there. So until next time, everybody, stay safe. Thanks for tuning into Safety Talk.
0: You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.